Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest today is Irene Meyer. Irene is a good friend of mine, and she has been in the financial industry for over 20 years. First starting out in banking, and now she currently runs her own financial brokerage. I'm excited to sit down with her, and everyone, please enjoy the show. And we are live. We're on now. Just like that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How's it going, Irene? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. It it's, feels like it's been a while since we've seen each other. Oh, yeah. It's been a few months. Just holy, but it's gone by fast, hasn't it? Yeah. It's July, almost August already, and I feel like oh it was like March. Well, I don't time. even know when I saw you last before March. January, February, somewhere oh, around there. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of neat how we can just pick up and just go from where we left off. The only difference is that you don't have your mustache. No, no mustache anymore. Yeah, yeah, you keep that off. Why? <laughs> <laughs> just because you look great now. You look Thank good you. now. <laughs> that mustache ages you. Do you want to look older? No, not really. I like no. how I look right now. Yeah, so you're good. good. You're good. But yeah, so, so you've been just at home in, in quarantine the past couple months or? Um, yeah, yeah, to be honest, it's, it's been a really easy transition. Yeah, I really, I really enjoy working from home. I, I tend to work more though, Yeah. which just kind of, which is a testament that uh, I like my work, which is a good thing, right? That is a great thing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just trying to self-quarantine, not self-quarantine, I mean, there's really no uh, risk really between you know, me and my husband and my sister that were exposed or anything, but you, it just never hurts to, to be careful, right? 100%, 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's, like, it's obviously important to love your career, and I, I was talking to a lot of people from the office and just people in general. I think a lot of people love working from home, just, uh, I guess, the freedom, the flexibility, the fact that you can just be at home, and uh, it allows you more time because there's no traveling back and forth, so it gives you more time to do what you need to do. and. Uh, Yes, for the people who don't know you, uh, give me give us some history of your background. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, yeah, I mean the way we know each other, Peter, is uh, and maybe some of you guys know this already, but we we uh, we worked with the same financial company, and um, uh, I actually have a big or an extensive financial uh, background. I you know I was born and raised here in Edmonton, and uh, I tell the story each and every time, but there's a reason. Okay, so bear with me. Well, go ahead. We have lots of time. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, my parents immigrated here from the Philippines. They've been here since 72, 73. And um, I was born and raised here in Edmonton, born in 75. And yeah, I'm that old. And and then, you know, in our community, it's just very important we got an education. So, they wanted us to get go to school, get a job, and that's what I did. I got my Bachelor of Commerce at the U of A here and majored in marketing and sales and uh, got recruited right out of the gates by by a famous bank called the Bank of Montreal. Hopefully that's okay to say that. Oh yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, and then I stayed there for like 20 years. I, I worked myself up to branch manager for like in a very short amount of time and um, stayed there as branch manager for most of my 20 years there and then 
then I, I decided that I needed a change and the change uh, came at a cost of actually leaving my, my job at the bank and I haven't looked back since and now I run my own financial agency and I haven't looked back. I, I love what I do and I love I got freedom of time and um, the ability to, to build my own business. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's amazing. And so you've been in the industry, so you mentioned uh, just years or so now. What it, uh, I guess you mentioned, was it just an originally a job that you took in like for the bank that kind of got you started or was it like a growing passion or maybe something you desired to do? Wow, what a great question. Um, yeah, no, I never saw myself in financial services. I, I literally really just got through university and luckily I, I buckled down in the last few years because I don't know if I would have gotten through if I didn't realize that a student loan was kind of riding on it and, you know, the pride and joy that I would bring to my parents if I did graduate. Um, and that's why I majored in marketing and sales because I was just really good at that. I was good at uh, sales because relationship building is something that I have a, a strong, um, skill at um but i landed actually at the bank because they were they were pioneering a new concept at the bank so they opened branches in in grocery stores i don't know if this even still exists for those for those of you who remember there were safeway stores they were grocery stores and they had little bank montreal kiosks in in some of these stores here in edmonton and i pioneered that concept it was around for about 10 years and they decided to pull it but Literally, they hired me for my sales skill. Like, I would have to go up and down the aisles talking about bank products. So, I mean, it was a job with a big That's bank. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, I was like, and, you know, talking to people just doing their grocery shopping. That's just kind of out of nowhere, right? Well, yeah, and sometimes people are in a rush and this and there. And I, I'm not sure. I had experience not with the bank, but I think it was PC. Oh, PC. I think they have a credit card shoppers. PC, yeah. Yeah. And, and I was actually... Um, I was actually in the uh, adult planning section, so I was searching for, for condoms. <laughs> and as I'm looking at these condoms, some lady, also doing her job, she was trying to sell me a credit card as I'm like in this section. Oh my God. <laughs> Holy. And she's trying to do like, I'm like, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> oh my God. So I can definitely feel, uh, I can definitely feel people's wow. you know, awkwardness or maybe just... It takes a lot of courage to do that job, but yeah, I'm like... Oh, yeah. Wow. Did she even, like, did it even become awkward? Did she even... I think, she, like, I think it might have been... I think it was... Uh, she might have been either new to Canada, maybe new new to the country, mm-hmm. or maybe it's one of her first jobs and she's unaware, but good for her for at least asking. At least I wouldn't have asked, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, how... Yeah, it, that would definitely be awkward. I mean, we were we were kind of taught kind of how to prospect, kind of like gave us maybe a a week training, if you will. So really, a lot of it had just to come from just buckling down and just doing it and learning and being rejected over and over and over again. Yeah. So it was um it was definitely an eye opener in terms of what I was capable of for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I just stayed there. I eventually moved into the the traditional uh, branch kind of uh, path and, and stayed there for, for 20 years. Yeah, and I guess being in the, the financial industry and maybe may more, so, more so the bank, but in the financial industry in general, what was the more significant changes you've seen in the, since you've been in the industry? Or? Wow, yeah. Um, there's been so many changes. I mean, I guess I could talk about the different changes in the bank and what I saw, I mean, obviously from 1998 to like, what, I left there in 2018, 
um, just how people banked, right? Like you would no longer go into a bank to do any kind of withdrawal of cash or depositing checks or no. paying bills, right? Like you can do that all on your phone. You can even deposit a check through your phone. Yeah, that's great. Right? And if, if you need cash, yeah, people don't even use cash anymore. They just use their card, right? Yeah. So that alone, right? And that that's definitely going to change some more where there's going to be less and less uh, what we call tellers back in the day, mm-hmm. but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, and even so, when we were transitioning to be digital, um, even the, the, the CSRs, what we called at, at Bank Montreal, but even the, the tellers, they were they were uh, trained to really condition clients who were coming in to show them how to bank on the machine. So, you know, a client would walk in and want to deposit a check and it would be encouraged that we show them how to do it in the machine. So it's almost like we were teaching our clients to take over have, jobs in have a machine take yeah. over <laughs> jobs, right? And that was probably the biggest change, obviously, I saw in the 20 years I was there. Um, other changes in terms of, you know, um, you know, it's kind of interesting how they were very digital, digital focused at near the end, but there's still a lot of archaic things that I found that still just still exist, like the paper that they have. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're trying very hard not to be paper, but I think they're just uh, they're still not getting on board. Not as quickly as I've seen with with my currently uh, my my current. Yeah. Where they've learned how to adapt to having everything electronic. Um, and I mean, the bank nowadays, if, if anything, if anybody needs them for anything, they need advice. Like clients need advice. 100%. So they really need to buckle down and learn how to teach their, there's how to give proper advice. Oh, exactly. Especially during the COVID and obviously banks, they have managers and executives who make the decisions obviously for hours, especially during these times. And it can be frustrating for some people where you can, you try to go to your local branch and it may not even be opened because there's only, I think a select few at least from where I checked, that are open. So even then, you can't. I mean, I'd be able to even see your 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 fund man or whoever. You can't really see anyone, so it's frustrating. Oh my gosh! And like again, I don't want this to sound like I'm bashing the bank at all. And maybe it sounds like it, but this is just the truth. This is just my experience. But like, I had to do something at the bank, and um, it was interesting because. Um, and it was really actually for my parents. So I'm a power of attorney for my parents. So I do their banking at the bank Mm -hmm. and um, there was something I had to do for one of them and I got like a confirmation email from the bank saying your appointment with so and so is at this time due to COVID you're going to have to be it'll be a phone call instead and so instead of kind of listening to that email and maybe I could have just believed it I actually called the bank I said hey you know I just got an email saying that I, I don't have to come in now. Um, and then she had mentioned that, nope, you still have to come in. That's just an error. I'm like, wow. Right. And really what we what we discussed at the bank mm-hmm. um, didn't really it didn't make sense to me that the bank has not figured out how I could have done that signature remotely. Yeah. Because it really at the end of the day it took me 30 minutes to get through that really with the, you know, the, the, the casual, you know, small talk. I could have done it like really over over the phone in five minutes, but it took me half hour to get there, yeah. half hour to come home, and then maybe another 20 minutes to get through the process. So they have to figure it out. Um, I mean, I guess luckily if they don't, you know, there are other companies like yeah. mine that, that can <laughs> that can definitely, you know, exceed our clients' expectations instead of 
a lot of banks to do that. 100%, especially in an age like today, no one really wants to wait for anything. No, mm. you don't want, no one wants to even go to restaurants, you have to skip the dishes, you rent movies yeah. off Netflix, so you don't really, so people want everything now and don't totally. have to go through a long process. And Yeah, like, and I think, honestly, I think that the, the, the banks that we know right now are trying to find ways to make it that easy to like open accounts. Like, and I don't know if you have experience with this, but now if you want to open an account, you could easily open an account online without seeing anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Right, you can even open like an invest, an investment account if you're into that you can do that without the help of anybody right but that's if you're into that yeah what if you're the kind of consumer that really has no interest in learning about investments and wants direction right they can't even go to their bank to get that direction because the bank may not have the proper training in place to give you that direction mm-hmm. and again if you have a, a lot of money sure you'll get that advice for sure but if you don't have a lot of money you're going to be stuck with somebody who'll just probably be giving you advice to to sell you something i'm using you guys don't see um but sell you something versus actually advise you is what's best for you and so it's it's interesting how they're kind of picking and choosing what where they're going to go digital and where they're not when they think that i think i think that they actually just need to take a look at their how they train their their agents to be honest well 100 percent, and i think that's it comes out and comes down to the training because if they're untrained to give sound financial advice which a lot of people everyone depends on for security for living for everything i think it's important you have to have someone who's not only well trained but who's i guess capable of being in that environment because not everyone can sit down and give clients advice and understand and, and it's a different process and i know it's more so the states because i think there's more documentaries at least on netflix from what i see and more so with the states and some of the banking and whatnot and I think it's Merrill Lynch, don't quote me on that, but I was talking about this one particular branch in a smaller town, and they were saying how no matter what, like every week or every month, people need to hit quotas. And I think it was like, there was a certain population in town, but then I think people like certain workers had to open fake accounts or call their family members to open up other accounts because they had to hit quotas. And so everyone had like these different policies and different accounts, um, just so like they had the quotas. So, are quotas at least that extreme in in Canada from what you you've seen, or like to that extent where you like you have to like uh, maybe it's maybe different in Anthony because there is a million people, but like how, how like does that like put a different spin on things where you have to almost look for a quota and hit the quota instead of maybe servicing people. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. It's a very loaded one, too. So I'm going to speak very generally without attaching a fake name. Um, So from what I know, the quotas and targets are put in place to essentially separate the ones who are there that are good at um, promoting the bank's products and services. Now... I suppose that if the banks didn't put these quotas and targets on their personnel or their staff or whatever, then it, it may be likely that you might have very uh, complacent people that mm-hmm. stay in the bank without being profitable. Yeah. And that was very much something that, you know, at the management level, I was made aware of, right? Because, of course, we need to be profitable at these profit organizations, for-profit organizations. 
we have to remember that the banks are there to make a profit, mm-hmm. you know, for their shareholders, they're accountable to their shareholders. You know, they, they, they say they're accountable to their clients, they're accountable to their employees, but at the expense of some some people doing maybe the wrong thing. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you, there have been a couple situations while I was there in my career at the bank that I I saw a lot of um, inappropriate behavior where, like you said, you know, people would do things that not necessarily with fake stuff, but maybe do wasn't what wasn't right mm-hmm. for a client. And luckily Luckily, you know, very courageous employees would bring it up uh, anonymously that they made some changes to um, how things were measured. Mm -hmm. Um, A great example, and I I, want to bring this up because I feel like it it should be brought up, but, um, you know, we were always explained that, you know, we should be getting in front of a client, which is makes sense. We should be getting in front of our clients, but rarely would a client walk in to do any banking because as we talked about, you know, we could do banking on our phone or on the computer. Um, so that meant that there was a lot less people walking into the branch. And so we would have to outbound call them, mm-hmm. right? And for a lot of people who joined the bank, I think it, it felt like, what? We got to call our clients? Like, it, it felt like outbound, what? This is weird. I don't want to sound like a telemarketer. Like, th- that was the, the the thoughts that were going through their heads. So, but, I mean, the bank needs to remain profitable. And um, the banks also hired bankers on a full-time basis with a salary. So you got to make them profitable. So if you're not getting 20 appointments a week, then what are you doing? Yeah. Right. And so at the end of the day, when I had left, um, it was almost a, uh, how can I say, a punitive activity that we would say, now we're going to do calls. If you don't have at least 15 appointments pre-booked, we're going to put everybody on a call night. And it was a, a punishment almost versus... No, you should be calling your clients to make sure they're okay. Yeah. Right. And and I think where where the the, the bank went wrong was the fact that we were calling them to position something. We have a lot of pre-approved lines of credits. Yeah. We have a pre-approved credit card that you can come in. Right. So it it didn't feel like we were co- were calling them to do an annual review, even though some of us did saying we need to get you in for an annual review. Client doesn't really know what kind of value they're going to get from an annual review, no. right? But the kind of value we were putting out there so that we can attract them to come into the branch was you're pre-approved for a line of credit. You should have it because it's an emergency thing. Um, you should build your credit. Oh, we got this credit card pre-approved for you. It's great because you get cash back. Like that's what we were calling them for, which is unfortunate. In hindsight, I think about this now in hindsight, but. I think because of that, we were contributing to the overall problem, what what it to be honest. Um, But back then, we were conditioned to feel like, no, we're doing what's right for the clients and giving them things they need, right? And it's unfortunate. I think most banks are like that, to be honest. Yeah, it is unfortunate. I think there are people who are good-hearted, who want to do the right thing, and some may be sometimes unaware and believe that is the right process on how to help clients is to give them lines of credit. Some people might... Just unfortunately, because they, they believe that's the right thing, and that's because that's what they were taught. And other people may like the paycheck, so they don't want to leave and may do something else. So 
it's definitely it's uh especially with the pre-approval um it probably goes the same way when you go get a pre-approved for either furniture where you don't have to pay for 18 months and then people obviously it's human nature we just forget about it and then 18 months rolls away we most people probably made no payments and i think most most people don't know is the interest interest adds up over the 18 months and then now instead of like say a five thousand dollar coach is like ten thousand dollars and yeah it's what a good point i've never even thought about it that way like how how interesting you say that because you're so right right like Again, sold the immediate gratification, mm-hmm. like you brought that up. And immediate gratification means, well, I'll pay for it later, right? That's the whole premise of a credit card. But then, like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not just in the banks. I mean, but it's everywhere. Like, we'll find wise, uh, ways to, to, you know, provide immediate gratification for consumers. But what consumers don't realize that, like you said, for the course of time, and we know human nature, they're not going to actually pay it off. No. Or if they do, they transfer that balance to their lower credit card, which is 20% instead of 30%, right? And then they take their time paying it off that way, right? But it's interesting you said that because, I mean, we could really talk about, like, anything that involves credit, credit and debt. Oh, yeah, especially, well, especially kids, you know, I, I remember when I was... Um, well, growing up being a, and I thought I was far with money, which I am, was not, and I can obviously do better still. But growing up, my parents obviously were money conscious. They taught me well, make sure you save your money. But even then, I was having a credit card. I bought a, a $400 Batman costume I wore three times since I was 19. So, six still years. Fit you? you should. Yeah, I have to customize it now. Oh, a bit more so it's breathable. It's like full rubber, so you just get hot and sweat. Oh, so it's like legit. It's legit. Yeah, it's legit. Okay. But yeah, so I spent <laughs> money on that. And I bought football shoulder pads when I was playing football, and I forgot to look at the conversion rate because it was four hundred US, not Canadian. So that ended up being like seven hundred with shipping and all that. So. Yeah. And that's me, someone who kind of grew up in a household where I was, like, kind of taught a little bit fascism, but I still fell into the same kind of loopholes or and not loopholes but potholes I guess yeah. but even now where you can tap anything with your phone mm-hmm. and then most 18 year olds or people growing up who they rather maybe go out and have fun with the guys or take a girl out on a date whatever the case may be I think most people like younger would rather do that than contribute to save money it's difficult especially with the instant tapping and no kidding so, I mean, looking back at yourself then, back then, what kind of advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? I would probably immediately set it up where when I got paid, um, a certain percentage or portion would go to another account. So then whatever I spent money on or spent, then at least I'd have money saved over. So almost like out of sight, out of mind where I can save it. And then whatever's in my account, I know Regardless if I overspend, I still have savings left over. So right. I think that's it. Maybe you should have different accounts like a vacation fund. And okay. So something like that where it's easy to overspend, especially with the like $4 subscription here and $7 subscription here, Netflix here. And then yeah. I think that's where I think that's where a lot of people can get into loophole. Um, not loophole, I said loopholes, but potholes. Potholes <laughs> or huge holes, financial holes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just. Um, basically the Grand Canyon were of debt where they can't get out of I sat down because we mentioned I was in the street a bit to sell my license mm-hmm. I did sat down with one young gentleman and I think he had a truck and you um, just that one truck was a hundred grand debt and he was 
21. Holy. What kind of truck was that? It was like a brand new, fully loaded, like all the add-ons. Was it like really a hundred thousand, or did he add on debt onto that too? You know how some people can refinance. It, it might be. He, he did mention that he like always got like the new truck, so he would have it for maybe. So I think it was like a oh. fifth trade in too, and right. But that's just it, though, right? I mean, just when is it going to happen that this debt will finally just be paid off if we continue to have, you know, the. We, we dream of having these new things over and over and over again. When is it going to be enough? Yeah. Right? In regards to that, what do you, because uh, I think there is a, a misconception with debt and retirement and you believe, um, well, one, eventually I can wait to pay off my debts and I'm going to retire at 65 no matter what is something you guess you want to make in regards to debt that you want to tell people that's important? Um, well, me, I mean, I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody else who got into debt, who's still in debt. I mean, I have mortgage, mortgages, you know, we have a rental property, um, but you know, debts that we just want to kind of pay off. And uh, we never really get taught that debts, as long as you keep it, will continue to take away your income. And I don't think people ever even think about it this way. We complain a lot about taxes and mm -hmm. taxes this, taxes that, right? But then you think about it, well, you pay tax to the government, but you're also paying interest and payments to the bank. Mm -hmm. So you're not even working for the government alone, you're working for the bank. Like, think about it. Think about it. Like, and, and a lot of people argue, and I used to be one of those people where, oh, well, this is a good debt because I bought a house with it. Yeah. That's perfect. Yes, absolutely, because this asset will definitely appreciate in values as a car. But... Are you going to pay into this asset forever? Because then you might as well just rent. Yeah. Right? Because at any given time, if you can't pay your mortgage, right, the bank still owns that house, if yeah. you didn't know that, right? The bank is still on title of the house. And so so I think people just need to realize that there is a way to get out of debt, right? And you kind of you kind of talk about, you know, when I asked you, you know, what would you tell your younger self now? Right? And you said, you know, I'd probably tell my younger self I put a little bit of my paycheck into savings. Maybe I have separate accounts for separate reasons kind mm -hmm. of thing, right? Um, I, I almost want to ask like you, like what would have been the, what would have been the, the, the one way, if you could think back to your old self, what would have been the one way that you've been able to convince your young self that putting money away is good? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. we can say that eating and exercise is healthy and skinny or whatever, right? But we don't do that. No. Right? So what, what, what would cause anybody to act now on that kind of advice? And I'm asking you this because I think it's important we, we understand kind of human, human nature, the human condition. Because I think that, I think I have the answer, but I want to know what your answer would be. Make someone act now. One, it definitely has to be something they want. So... Okay. Uh, I think it comes, it comes down to a variety of things in our life, so sometimes it's uh, maybe a trip that we want to go on and you, you find yourself maybe a bit more motivated to either save for that trip or go on that trip because you know you want it or maybe you're losing weight for probably, I think, most, I think a lot of people do either for high school reunions, you want to look good for the people you haven't seen in years mm -hmm. and all of a sudden for that 90 days, 100 whatever days, you're eating the right foods. You're working out consistently. So I think it definitely has to be something you want. 
Um, and then how, how many people have now? I think that is difficult because again, people are people. I think there's going to be a certain percentage, no matter what you do, they're going to not save or do anything. I think that's it's unfortunate, but I believe that. Mm-hmm. But again, I think it's one making sure that's something they want, um, maybe goal-wise, saving-wise, if you're almost financially, and then maybe make it so it's their decision in a sense. So right. maybe not more, more, less pressure, more advice, if that makes yeah. sense. So I guess that's my take. Yeah. Is that yeah. close? No, that, no? no, I mean, I'm, you're not wrong or, <laughs> or not, like right or wrong. Like this is what you're perceiving. I, I really appreciate your, your percept or your view on that because it's true. Like, without asking those kind of questions, right? Like what makes you happy? What are your goals? What are your short-term goals, right? Um, talking to somebody about their actual goals in a situation where they should be asked like, well, you know, I helped you with your mortgage, for instance, yeah. right? Do you think that this is gonna be your forever home? Or do you think this is your starter home, right? Mm-hmm. How many bankers actually ask that question, right? And then on top of that, find a way so that they can afford their next, what we call forever home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, showing a client, if, if they're just in debt and then asking, well, would, would, you, would you go back into debt if I erased all of this from you right now? You know, like, could you see yourself going into debt again if I took this all away and I found a way for you to pay it off? You know, and I, I would be curious to find out who would actually say, no, absolutely not. I hate being in debt. I hate these payments. Like, okay, right? Mm-hmm. Or the people would be like, well, I don't know. I mean, can't really say that because, you know, I, I like my points on my credit card. Yeah. Whatever reason, right? Um, I, 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 want, I want to clearly understand what my client's relationships with debt is, yeah. that they actually feel like it is an income because some people think of it as an income right like oh i have my line of credit that's my emergency fund like i don't know how many times i've heard that because somebody has positioned it that way oh for emergencies right but what's an emergency is the emergency to get you know you know there's that nice lv bag is that an emergency right (laughs) um and and again like it you know asking those those really pertinent questions like what really actually is going to bring you everlasting happiness 100 right so i don't even know what the question was it's all good it's (laughs) we just talk and see where it goes like it's so true um i remember one of the sales directors um oh should i name drop whatever i'll say john tam Okay. Um, one of the financial um, investment companies we work with mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed his trail investments because I thought I had to be extremely knowledgeable as a financial professional which I should be um, I sh- you should be of course and I thought it'd be extremely technical I had to know you know this like the ins and outs of how stocks stocks and funds work but he made he basically said in regards to a client everyone is all everyone I guess the commercials for investments are about fees and there's one popular one, which I think it's a good one because it talks about, I think it's uh, hopefully if, uh, it uh, let, lets people focus and re-examine their financial picture and who they're working with instead of just blindly trusting the the banks or whoever, I'm not trying to bash them, but mm-hmm. regardless of what your person is, you should take a closer look and see if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But um, all these commercials always show fees and returns and which in a sense does make sense because you, you want to see what mo- how much money you're getting back but what this uh john town the, the vice president of sales for this financial company says basically is like what we we're just talking about is what's your goal what do you want what do you want want with this money yeah and then we can kind of focus on 
which funds make sense. So it's right. where I think old school way is, where I don't sure if they ask many questions, but basically they ask like, just what do you want? And then they just sometimes give the clients what they want even, but it's more so I think, and again, this is my experience too in the traditional industry is more so debt-based than solution-based. At least that's right. Someone wants to save for a home or, hey, we can give you like a line of credit so we can do this for you if you want that vacation instead of, yeah. which impulsively we want it now. Of course, we're going to take that. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, like it, I, I hope it changes over time. I mean, it's really good for me that they don't change, to be honest, because then I can provide a service that no other, other financial company, traditional financial company can. For sure, um, but yeah, I think it also has a lot to do with trust. Mm-hmm. Like you, we just tend to go to the same bank that we went to since we were ten, kind of, yeah. right? And then we go to them when we need these big things like learning how to save into RSPs or getting our mortgage, but just blindly going to the same bank which offers their products, right? And we've been taught this, right? What are the chances that your bank will have all the different, all the best products in the world? Well, slim to none because there's just so many financial companies, at least here in Canada, that we can leverage, right? And so, but who wants to work in? Like, yeah. who wants to actually go shopping around for the best investments, best market rates, right? That's why we have brokers to do that. But, um, people don't realize that these people exist a lot of the time. They know mortgage brokers exist and they know that the mortgage broker is going to get them the best rate. But that's kind of as far as we, t- we t- maybe insurance brokers, right? We go to a, uh, an insurance broker that looks for the best car insurance. Yeah, usually insurance, don't know, yeah. Right? But then to talk to an investment broker, well, no. You're actually probably going to not be able to talk to them because they only deal with high net worth or I should say high high book of business yeah right so middle income families like my own will never get that help right and then there's no real license to get into debt like anyone can get into debt so i think that's where the and you just actually started talking i'm like realizing now that um in order to um how can i say sell mutual funds at the bank right you need a certain license right and in order to become like a a level financial advisor to kind of thing like in that next uh, level up in terms of being a personal banker you have to have this license to be able to offer the bank's mutual funds Mm -hmm. but if you don't have that mutual funds license then all you could offer are GICs and there are some bankers that are in the banks right now that could do that Mm -hmm. right but there's no license for people to um offer debt does that make sense yeah. so almost anybody even the tellers can offer debt so that's why i think where where, where the banks are, are going to be p- positioning things that everybody can position is debt because there's no special license no. to be able to position debt um and, and then you add targets and quotas to that it just even like well if they can only offer debt then we're going to give them a target of you know 10 credit cards a month then right yeah. like that and it's just going to be a you know, a cycle of debt all the time. So um, I feel like the people are listening to this and feeling like, okay, move past debt. Yeah. Oh, whatever. <laughs> well, the debt's important. And there's a lot of people, well, the statistics are that I think 95% are going to retire out of the poverty line. It's around that. And debt's so huge because, and um, I think one is uh, one huge one is student loans, of course, and mm-hmm. I hey, I don't like I don't like to uh, discredit formal education, but I think people definitely need to examine what they really want to do in life before they go. And this is more so the states, and I have to do more research myself. But this was 
um, either documentary or podcast I listened to, and it was talking about the reason why uh, student loans are so high now, whereas back, like way back when, a lot of people who could go to schools, you had, you had to afford to go. You couldn't just get the loan, go to school, and now it's happening. People can't get jobs. You have it's more it's local. It's like around I think fifty grand if you don't live at the university to just go for well four years. That's that's Canadian, and I think it was something to the effect that I think believe the government the government own, owns these loans, so they take on these loans themselves. I think something to the effect of now I think now we're in a position that. Because almost people are dependent on these loans to go to school, and they don't really erase. They're like the only loans that don't erase when you like die, or like they're always with you no matter what. Student loans, and now because the government does own it, that way they can really charge anything now, which is unfortunate. Instead of, and that's almost and now because university is I'm kind of rambling here because university is not guaranteed to get a job anymore. Um, it's unfortunate people get these massive loans. That can be chart that can pretty much be raised at any point. Yeah. Because I'm not sure. I'm not personally sure how they're regulated in regards to university, but people are getting these mass loans to get a job that can pay for these and get a lifestyle afterwards, and now they're fifty grand in the hole. Yeah, it's yeah. Again, it's just like the cycle of debt. It's we get taught at a, at a very early age. Um, and then, yeah, no word of a lie. Like, I mean, I, I got into student loan debt. I mean, that was back in the 90s, though, so that was a little bit cheaper than it is yeah. now. But that's what drove me to really get my 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 uh, my degree was because I knew I'd have this debt. I better make the most of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that there's people out there that don't do anything and still have to get that debt or still go into that student loan debt. And, like, no word of a lie, they're, they're probably working. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but in a job where they didn't wait aspired and, and then they just kind of get into this cycle where I, I guess I'm just going to move up in my job here which you know might be retail or serving not that there's anything wrong with that but I'm sure that a lot of people don't grow up right thinking that that's what they're going to do yeah and even if they by the way is great as long as you're passionate about it but I think most of the time people go into these jobs because they have to pay for 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 expenses not because they aspire to do that and then they get stuck there and then they think, I should really go to school and finish something. Maybe I'll get a job, like yeah. a better paying job. They go back to school and there's still no guarantee of a job. And we're looking at that right now with this pandemic, with a lot of people getting laid off. They've been in their company for 30 years because of what they call restructuring, right? Cost cutting, yeah. right? And they've been like given, given the the upheaval and they may have 10 or 20 more years left but they got the the heave ho and they have like no other experience so now they're thinking and i've talked to a lot of these people it's like well maybe i should go back to school and i'm like in my head i'm like why yeah like why are you going to go back to school and 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 if you are looking for something that that might make more sense now why don't you go for something that you're passionate about exactly right don't go for the next what's going to make me money right like who has time to go go back into debt when you're still in debt with your mortgage and such and then come back out with still no guarantee that someone's going to hire you sure you might improve your chances yeah for sure but I, I guess I just question that. And then there's those lifelong learners who just keep going to school. And, yeah. and I will never understand that because <laughs> post-secondary was not like, that was just like too much fun for me. Yeah. Like I just, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just don't get that, how you can just continue to learn and not make an income. And um, 
yeah, it's just never going to end. And I mean, to come back to the question of when will you ever be out of this hole? Really, you got to talk to someone to show you that. And I think that's the key. I think people need to be shown, oh, in seven years, I'm going to be debt free. Yeah. Right. Versus. I don't know, 25 years. I'll give you an example. Okay, yeah, Peter. I, I sat down with a couple and um, took a look at their entire financial picture and looking at what they were doing, if they were to continue doing what they were doing, paying off their debts and, and loans and stuff, they would be debt free in 22 years. Okay? okay. I redid some stuff and I didn't do redo some stuff to make it like hard, like this was going to be an easy plan. They would be debt-free in seven years. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, when I told them that, they're like, holy shit, right? Like, sorry, but holy, like, and that's why they came to me in the first place. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, I show them this value and they're like, okay, tell me more. How do we do this? And I showed them and it looked pretty easy, right? But see, that's just it. If no one shows them the potential of what can happen and where their money might be able to be best allocated, they'll just always be guessing. Right. Yeah, exactly. They just go through life. Oh, I guess we have to pay, you know, this mortgage payment until it's done in 22 years. Like, um, no. Right. And then they had all these other goals. Like we want to own this. We want to own that. I'm like, well, let's get that, get you there, you know, in seven years instead of 22. Exactly. And I think that's a powerful thing is someone has to be shown. And, but also I think another thing, um, is someone has to be taught. And in my opinion, I, and there's a lot of great countries out there, and obviously we can always compare to like other people have it worse, and other other countries may not have the the standard of living that we do. So we can always compare. But if we just look at Canada, I think one where we're blessed to live with where we are, li- we live with the opportunities we have, mm-hmm. plus the government support and programs in place. Mm-hmm. But I think it's almost a, a travesty, almost that we don't educate our younger generation or our population, especially with how quickly we can purchase something with auto renew payments and auto I think even like Amazon or certain certain subscriptions you don't even have to put in your information where you just swipe and all everything's pre-populated for you so you have to think mm-hmm. and I think there's no there's not a ton of edu- education for our younger generation to one save money and also maybe make more money because again we've been put in these financial holes everything's cost way more than you used to and most jobs most thing and most jobs have like the the wages haven't increased with how much things cost. Yeah. Uh, I guess where would you what were your thoughts beyond I guess the education standpoint how we should how to use money because again we can again eliminate people's debt but if we don't kind of teach them how it was created or how to manage it they can easily be put back in that same place. Ah. Uh. You just asked me a loaded question. I have a loaded answer. Um, the one I'm going to tell you this: the one, the one thing that sets me apart, and I say me, okay, I'm not, I'm not speaking on behalf of agents like me, but what the one thing that sets me apart from other agents is I, I used to work at the bank, and what I used to see a lot were clients who had a bunch. And this is like. I don't know if you remember in 2006, 2007, when the, the, the house market was booming. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that or if you're too young to. But um, a lot of people were, were refinancing their homes, you know, you know, flipping houses left and right. And, um, you know, 
getting into debt with whatever reason and then refinancing again and then refinancing again. And anyways, debt consolidation loan and refinancing became something very popular. But it became so popular that we'll have the same clients coming in back, you know, months after months, year after year saying, can you do that thing you did for me last time? I just kind of racked up my debt again. Something came up and I had to pay for this. And again, there was just them trying to convince me that I wasn't going to judge them. They just needed to consolidate debt. So when I start to see the same kind of people coming back over and over again, I realized that we're not even helping the problem. We're just giving them really band-aid solutions that they can just run away from because they're still in debt. And all we did was just wrap it up in a tighter debt, mm-hmm. right? For a longer period of time to keep their payments low. And for the longest time, I was really good at that. <laughs> like I was really good at showing freeing people's cash flow by refinancing their mortgage or refinancing their debts and consolidating everything so that they'll have more cash flow. And, and one particular experience really made me understand people. Mm-hmm. So what I did was with one client, she, um, she, I don't remember her name too, but I will say, um, she came to me cause she, she wasn't the main breadwinner. She was, she, her husband was the main breadwinner. She just liked buying stuff. Yeah. And just by looking at her, her, uh, you know, again, we work at a bank so I can see where her money was going. She just, I could just clearly see that she just didn't know where her money was going because, you know, eating out here, there, you know, it was just everywhere, right? Using the debit card all over the place and the credit card. Um, but again, I positioned, hey, it looks like you're having a hard time with your credit cards, your debt. I, I could probably look at, you know, helping you out there. And I was able to wrap everything into their mortgage and save them a whole bunch of money, like literally maybe over a thousand dollars a month. But what I did was I showed her, I'm like, and we're going to take some of that money and we're going to start putting it into an RSP for you because I can see here that you don't have any kind of savings for you and your husband. And literally her words were this, I know how to spend my money. Thanks. We'll just take the loan. Right. And it was like, huh? So I showed her how she can free up cash flow and maybe use the money that I freed up to put into something that was something that they're going to need, right? Mm-hmm. Or savings. And then she, she, she made it sound like I was kind of getting into her business then when I was giving her advice, right? Now, get me thinking. I'm like, I'm gonna, okay, well, let's see if she's learned from this. Like no word of a lie. No word of a lie. Three months later, she was again living in her overdraft. Wow. And that's how I saw the problem in place. She was always living in her overdraft. And that's how I was able to recognize there's a problem here. I should talk to her. Mm-hmm. Right. She appreciated the fact that we wrapped up her debt, but now just allowed her to spend more money. And again, spending more money, not realizing that, hey, you're going back into your overdraft. Now that got me thinking that we haven't really solved the problem until we show her where she's got her trajectory. If she kept going at where she was going, they would be flat broke, maybe bankrupt. But we didn't have those kind of tools at the bank to show anyone that. And why would we? Because you know why? The banks are so worried about getting sued. They don't want to give that kind of advice. That's that's it. Like that. That's the only reason I can think of why a banker would show someone like that that if you continue to do what you're doing, you're going to go bankrupt one day. And um, it's unfortunate that we can't give that kind of direct advice to people without feeling like we're going to get sued. Yeah, I think people need that direct advice, <clears throat> especially now. And like, I think there's a lot of, at least in the political climate, there are people like to be just be affirmated and 
told they were amazing. And it's, I'm not trying to beat up on people or just in general, but then it kind of comes almost, again, and it spills into other areas of our life where, again, uh, we don't want to be told we're not doing bad things with our money when we told we're doing good. We don't really, we don't want to face the problem. And I think, too, I think it's important people to know because I think we all want to live amazing lives. We, no one wants to have no house, no food. And I think sometimes it's not a bad thing to want more. I think that's an important thing. It's okay to want a lavish lifestyle. And I think sometimes it is hard though with Instagram. I think it's more time where people can look at other people's lives and some people either rent things and put on Instagram or, or, or wherever the case may be. And I think other people, human nature, right? We see other people have, they want, so we want the exact same thing or better. So then maybe we go get that fancy car, fancy house, even though we can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, um, so I was too kind of, um, in a sense, wanting, maybe I still do, but dream lifestyle in a sense where you have like the private jet and mansion. And, but for me personally, being this, um, not going on social media is, I still want the nice property, but instead of like a mansion, I want like a huge acreage property and, and maybe something not something so extravagant, but more so home-like. So, yeah. so I think it's important for people to know, like you can have what you want, but then you don't have to uh, have those big expensive things if you don't want to. Just keep up, well, I guess the saying is keep up with the Joneses. Well, yeah, and it's interesting you said that because I heard something today and I forget what it was. And I think it was, I think it was Greg yeah. who said this in our training today was, you know, we'll go into debt to try to impress people that we don't care about, mm-hmm. right? We'll try to, we'll go into debt to try to impress people that we actually don't care about, but we do care about what they think of us, which is unfortunate, right? Um, And when you say keep up with the Joneses, I mean, it's so true. It's like, and I mean, I'm not saying I was never there. Of course I was there. I was there, you know, that's how I get into debt, right? You want this, you want this. It'll kind of show people that you have a certain lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. But did it? Do people actually look at that stuff? Like, will they look at my shoes? Will they look at my purse? And if they do, who cares, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they're not going to remember Irene for how many purses she had. They're going to remember Irene for the kind of person she is. So, and I guess it may come with age. It may come with the fact that you're surrounded by people who think that way versus people who don't think that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what changes. Um, I'd like to say that it's who you surround yourself with to this that will change your mind because I see people that are well above like my age still think that having these fancy things are way more important than having, you know, a, you know, financial independence later on in life. So I, I truly believe that it's who you surround yourself with. A hundred percent. And yeah, I think it's important for people to have key people in their lives who either are going to tell them the truth, what they don't like, or who are going to push them in the right directions. And unfortunately, again, people who you don't see the problems no one t- encourages you or sometimes it takes people to either be broke or get into these dark situations before they make the change it's, it's so unfortunate and yeah which like for me same thing like you it's not until you can't fit into like your fair pair of pants is when you start losing weight or or you can't afford whatever that subscription anymore is when you start saving money so yeah how would you how would you uh i guess in a sense because there are some people you mentioned that you show them the proper way to save, but they're like, oh, I'll take a loan instead. Is there maybe other ways in which you can get them to see a different 
uh, perspective instead of taking a loan or is it just simply just educating them and then hopefully they do the right thing? Yeah, um, I think that the unfortunate thing is that a lot of people don't ask enough questions when they're giving financial advice um, or they don't ask the right questions, right? And so if you're building rapport with anybody that you're going to give financial advice to, I hope you're being thorough. Mm -hmm. I hope you're being thorough. I hope you're asking them, you know, what kind of goals you have, right? And we do that. Like in our financial company, whether it's on that, you know, FLA or FLS or sheet, you know, what are your dreams and goals, that sheet, right? We actually ask those questions, right? But the goal is not just to ask a question, but dig deeper is to, interesting, you know, like, why do you want that, right? And, and when do you want this, right? Um, so if we're asking those kind of questions, we're kind of gauging, you know, engaging the client as, as to what their actual, um, their perception is as to whether they're going to achieve these goals. Mm-hmm. And then the goal is obviously to help them achieve them for sure, right? But I think a, a proper financial advisor will not just kind of skim over that question, but they'll actually try to make it a reality for these clients. They should be making it a reality, but being very direct, right? Like, I understand you want an acreage and this is how we're going to get there, yeah. right? And maybe the consumer want to know that it's going to take him 20 years to get there, but at least he knows, right? And I'm not saying reduce your dreams. I'm just saying, well, now here's the direction how to get there, right? And so... Um, I think people need to ask better questions when they're helping clients with any kind of advice, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, people who give, and we're going to go off on a tangent because yeah. we have the time, right? But people who give unsolicited advice, right? Like, people who decide that they're going to give unsolicited advice, and you know what that is, right? Is when somebody does not ask for your advice, that yeah. you're going to give your advice. I, They're awful advice givers. Awful, awful, oh. because they don't ask enough questions oh. to even realize that what they're saying is not advice, it's just their opinion. Yeah, and I was uh, listening, to, listening to a ton of podcasts, and I think it was either a producer, one of the people on the show, uh, it wasn't the ho- like the host, but either the producer, he had like a few days off, said he went to gambling, said he lost a ton of money, he said he lost a ton of money, and he said it was all on the podcast recording, it's pretty funny, he said he might need some advances because he was people, people money. Uh-huh. Uh, but then he also said something like his, you know, his day trading, and he said, "Oh, it's going terrible as well." And the, the people ask, like, "Well, how how do you do day trading?" He's like, "Well, I go on the the people the gambling forum where I like have my friends, and they have stock advice. And I usually flip a coin if I'm going to do it or not." And he's like, "All my all my flips have been wrong." And he's like, he's like, "Yeah, and I also bet on the UFC fight and." All, all my all the fights I, I, he's like I never won a single fight all of them it's like oh so even God. so even like yeah flipping a coin going on these forums and then there, are, there probably are some people who go on these forums and think it's the best advice and I, I did uh, I, I can't confirm this but I did speak to another another person so this is I guess a bit of speculation but someone told me I went to a financial course how to do your own day trading um, a couple of years ago and he taught us basically like bull market, bear markets, um, and it, you know, some of it was actually pretty useful advice to actually taught us, you know, if you're going to do day trading investment companies, you should research their CEO, what their mission statement is, okay. because ultimately, like, people dictate if they're going to buy the product and also see price, that dictates if it's going to up or down. So that's more to that, of course. But then he was mentioning that, uh, and obviously there was people who are going to help you do it. And he said, he, may, he mentioned that every time they told him to make a move, he lost. 
And I think he, he's clinging to the fact that maybe they're betting against their move, the people's move, their teaching. So they make. So also, I think that could also happen where people, some of these either brokers who look professional, can either give people some advice and they're either betting against it, investing other people's money to do so. Or I think the famous case is like, uh, I'm not Bernie Madoff or even both of people are subject to this where. Maybe less so now, but people can look fancy, professional, say the right things, or seem like the same right things. And no matter if you have millions of dollars or ten bucks, they can people are susceptible to that, and yeah. unfortunately, they lose money. And wow, well, it, it takes a bad, you know, a bad apple to kind of ruin the entire crop for some people. Yeah. Like, and I know you know what I'm talking about, where it takes one person to kind of screw it up for the rest of us, so the rest of us get this this uh this reputation right and and really it comes down to the person it's in you know you bring that up and i mean this might be going off on a tangent again but uh one of the agents on my team kind of brought up about you know some of the negativity she was experiencing because she's she's relatively new to the team and uh, she came from the bank too and so she's getting a lot of flack from ex-co-workers yeah. used to work with her and saying how you know Oh, I heard this about that company, you know, I heard this, this and this. And she even sent me a really long text about one of one of the people she talked to about how this, this, this company did this, this and this with this person. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound negative, but I just want you to be careful. And then I really had to kind of bring it back down to her and say, you know, I used to get that all the time at the bank, right? The, The blue bank, they all suck. And really, at the end of the day, it wasn't the blue bank that sucked. It was the person that worked at the blue bank that sucked. And then the other person they dealt with that sucked. Then yeah. the other person that, you know what I mean? And now, yeah, I guess anyone can really say, well, what kind of training are they getting if all these people at that blue bank suck then, right? But you can't really kind of say that, you know, just nationwide. That's just crazy. Yeah. Three people out of, what, 2,000 employees? I don't even know how many employees they have. But you know what I mean? So, you know, you know the day trader, the stuff that you were talking about, and I'm sure there's companies like that, but it's not companies, it's individuals exactly, that do yeah. this, right? And I mean, we can say this about anybody, mm-hmm. right? really any company, that there's bad people, and it's people that's out there, but there's good people too, so you don't like to, to not make it so much negative, but there are so many good people out there, you just have to find that right person. Exactly, and there are a ton of good people out there. It's unfortunate that some some of these bad people who are put in these positions mm-hmm. can give people the, a terrible to make them either not want to say look for other advice again because they got either burnt, lost a ton of money, and then that makes them either do everything themselves or just not do anything, which is unfortunate. And yeah. That's, and so for yourself personally, you run your own brokerage, your own your own business, what is the, I guess, the, the process that you walk people through yourself? Because I know in a traditional sense, either if you're going to do your day-to-day banking, go wait in a line. And nowadays, especially now, it's usually online or you just go to the machine. Then if you have um, some either investment questions, you have to also book a time. And, and obviously that depends on, I think, your income and how much you actually have to invest. And my personal experience with the traditional industry is I only got sat down once and that was when I was getting a credit card when I was 18 because my father had owned a business, had money with the bank. So then I got offered, I think there was like 10 credit cards I could have chose from and my limit when I was 18 with no job was $1,000 when I was 
Wow. So usually I think it was like the was 500 was like max I gave to people who were 18, but I got a thousand. I think they even offered, might have been 2,000 too. Like, yeah, you can have 2,000. I was 18. Wow. So what, what is, uh, so that's my experience. So what is the process that you offer people? Um, my process is the same with everybody, to be honest. Like, and I'll, I'll sit down in front of anybody. So I'll give you a couple of examples just to show you the, the spectrum of people I've sat down with. Um, so I sat down with this young lady who happened to, to be just, you know, very new in the nursing field. And she had a bunch of um, student loan debt. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually had a plan for her to be completely debt free in three years. Right. And also be able to save for her own house. Right. And, and just above that. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and of course, um, showing them the value of, you know, what they could be doing with their paycheck in terms of savings or if they like to vacation, you know, how much money they should put away for vacations. And then I might have somebody else who was still in school, like not even, you know, 20 years old. And and, and they were at in nursing and I showed him that um, you know when you're out of school and you, I know you're gonna have the student loan debt this is what we're gonna do you're gonna have that paid off in three years and we're gonna be saving up <coughs> sorry uh, for your first home because I know that's a goal of yours right your parents are not in the position to pay for your education so you know you're gonna be needing a student loan for the next few years but you're also probably gonna want to buy a house wouldn't you okay so let's take a look at that and you know what I showed him the plan. There was nothing absolutely okay, right? Mm -hmm. I knew what I did was right for him, right? Get out of debt as fast as you can. Start saving for something that you know you're going to want, right? And stay out of debt. Don't live in the red, yeah. right? Then I'll sit down with somebody. Oh, my gosh. This is like a great example. But um, this is why financial education is so important. But sitting down with a, a, an older gentleman in his mid-60s, recently affected by the layoffs in his company. He was a driver and uh, literally very, very humble, modest living, right? Lived on his paycheck, right? And did not know that he could apply for CPP. He no. didn't know what CPP was. Wow. Yeah. And so I took a look at his, and he of course was looking for a job because his job is what he was living on, right? And I'm like, oh, so no one's talked talk to you about CPP? I'm like, Canada, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, have you always worked, like, since you're 18? Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, he should be getting CPP because he's been putting money into it, yeah. right? And I have a plan for him to show him that you actually don't even have to find another job. Like, I, I don't know about you, but somebody who's 63 who who has to rely on the public transit system so he doesn't have a car yeah. or he rides his bike to work. He has to find a job that's near his place so he can easily ride his bike to work, right? Uh, I don't know how old your dad is, but when I when I picture my dad, 63, he's a lot older now, I'm like, frick that. I'm not going to have him like take the yeah. bus to work, right? I can't even imagine, right? So now I have this plan showing him, we're going to apply for CPP, right? You're going to qualify for uh, the, the GIS because of your income. Like, and these are all things that exist here in Canada. And when I show him this plan, because I haven't had yet the opportunity to, he's going to see that, holy crap. And you know what? thing is, is that I'm going to have, because he has debt still, right? Mm -hmm. Credit cards. I'm going to show him that he's going to be debt free as well as like way shorter amount of time. He doesn't have to find a job. <laughs> Right, because he can actually live the way he lives right now. He can actually live on the pensions he's worked so hard to put into in the first place. Yeah. Right, and he's going to be turning sixty-five in a couple of years, so he'll be able to qualify for OAS. It's just 
this is it. Like, and that alone, I mean, showing him obviously the ability to work with me and then him being properly protected, all that, for sure. That's what I'm going to take care of. But even just showing that extra value where literally it's just information. I don't mm-hmm. get paid for that information, but I know about it. Right. So why don't I show him what it's going to look like? So your question is, is what can they expect out of me? They can expect to know what their debt freedom date's going to be. They can expect to know when they're going to be able to comfortably retire. They're going to expect to know how I'm going to properly protect their families and why it's important. Mm-hmm. Right. And with any client, I don't care how young you are, I will show you that. Um, and, and really, the, that's the thing is so you, you go into a bank and if you're, like you said, 18 years old and you ask for a financial advisor because maybe you really are serious about yeah. saving. Right. You're not going to get the financial planner. You're going to get that new banker that that doesn't know what they're doing. Maybe they don't even have a mutual funds license. And they're going to sell you a savings account, but guess what? You're going to walk out with a credit card, Yeah. right? And that's what a 17-year-old is going to walk out with, which is unfortunate. And there you go. There's a cycle of debt starting when you're 17. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because it teaches someone at an early age. And it, most, I think the people who, there are people who are disciplined and use it correctly, but again, it's easy to you buy, maybe you go to the movies once with it and then it feels good that you could have, you could do whatever you want and not worry about having the money and then again like it snowballs from there and, and then think another thing that's not talked about enough especially either to the younger generation is um insurance like, almost like a taboo word people don't like the word insurance and usually think of um auto insurance i think or home insurance and it not paying out because those are just very very difficult industries or because I guess they, they have high claim rates. So of course the companies in those two particular sections want don't want to pay people because they're gonna be out of business. But in regards to actually protecting, you mentioned protecting families and protecting the family. I think a lot of people think is protection. Again, is that emergency fund or line of credit? If something happens, I got this. Um, what would be, I guess, something you would tell just anyone about insurance and and why it's important versus like instead of just rely on the money you saved. Wow. So I'm sure that there's going to be financial advisors that have differ different opinions of this because I know that even from financial company to financial company, some people believe in having you know lifetime insurance, and some people believe in just having you know insurance that lasts for a term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that everyone's different. So that's another thing is if you're a good advisor, you're going to ask the right questions and have the option to give them one or the other. Now let's back up because you kind of mentioned home and auto insurance. And I think a lot of people think that life insurance is kind of like home and auto insurance where, um, well, you just pay into it. And if you get into an accident or if your your house burns down, then it'll pay out. But really, will it pay out? Right? Mm-hmm. And then people talk about their experiences with insurance companies and how awful it is, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, you get that negativity around the word insurance in the first place. There's no doubt why people feel that life insurance is such a negative word. Yeah. And even then, right, you have a lot of insurance companies that have products that necessarily don't make sense. Yeah. And some that that absolutely makes sense. And so um, I guess the one thing I would probably say to a client is this. I realize that it's a law. It's law that we have to have car insurance if we want to drive, right? Or if you want to drive a car. It's, it's, it's uh, required by the bank if you get a mortgage to have home insurance, 
because they want to make sure that their asset, because it's still the bank's asset, doesn't burn down and you don't have insurance. Also, if you don't have a certain down payment, you have to have CMHC, which is the Canadian, basically Canadian mortgage insurance too. Yeah. It's another form of insurance that you have to have. Yeah, exactly. That's another insurance, right? And, and like, we, we can definitely talk about that because that's required when you're buying a house for, for some people. But, you know, we're we're obliged to pay these insurances, A, because it's law, or B, it's required by the bank. But you're not going to cover the people that you love the most that depend on you if something, God forbid, happens to you. And that just kind of blows my mind. And when I say protect those people, imagine that you're, I don't know, 30 years old, you have a family, and let's say you're the one who makes the most money. Let's say that you're the spouse that goes to work, the other spouse stays home with the kids, right? Young kids, right? And I don't care what anyone says. And I guess, I guess it's, 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 I think a lot of people think, well, if I buy insurance, then I just jinx myself. Now something's really going to happen to me, right? I don't know why people think that. Anyway, so you would rather kind of roll the dice with their future. If God forbid something happened to you and your income. And just because it's not law, you're not going to take it. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because life insurance, I guess in this case, life insurance is is not for you. You're damn right it's not for you. Yeah. It's for those people you leave behind. And the thing is, is that I think people think they're immortal. Like, we're, we're vampires. We're going to live forever. I don't know about that. Especially... Um us younger folk. Well, at least I did. Now I've turned 25. Oh my God, you're 25. Yeah. Hey, well, I've turned 25 oh and God. everything starts creaking and hurting. I'm like, oh wow. Oh my so God, sh- shut up. Well, I'm just saying like, <laughs> it happens. You start, you get older, you realize like, you're not as young anymore. Like, I can't just go to the gym and start lifting weights like I used to have to like, go in there and warm up and like, this is boring. I have to like, stretch. I'm like, it's important though. Like, you have to. <laughs> well, Okay, sure. I'm not going to even entertain that yeah. freaking Peter. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> we all die is basically yeah, what I want yeah. to say. We all die. We just don't know when and how, right? And the hope is that we don't pass away before, you know, 100 years old until we've lived a full life. But the unfortunate thing, none of us have crystal balls. Yeah. We have the ability to maintain and to make sure that we take extra precautions, right? We'll take extra precautions not to cross the street when there's like a whole bunch of traffic, right? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what life insurance is. You take the precaution, except you're not protecting yourself. You're protecting that loved one in case you do cross the street and someone hits you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate to really put it bluntly. Yeah. But a lot of people get scared off by that. And you know what? It's not as expensive as you think if you're thinking that. I mean, it. sure, we all gripe about car insurance and, you know, where it goes. And really, you're paying into something really that may not even pay out. Why would you want it to pay out in the first place? Yeah. Right? But we have the ability as, as, as brokers, you and me, we have the ability to actually sit, uh, show someone how they can you know, put into an insurance plan properly. And if they get approved, we have the way to show them that they can get the premiums back. Yeah. Right. And people don't know that unless they talk to somebody who knows anything about insurance. No, they'd rather listen to their friends. Right. Who knows nothing about insurance. Right. And that's, I guess that goes with anything. They'd rather listen to people that, that have no experience talking about it. And just, it just, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that, you know, be careful what you listen to about these kind of important things because this is your life. It's not theirs. Right? Exactly. I think, I think people just want to reaffirm what they want in a strange way. Like they, they want, uh, they want, they have a certain outcome in mind and instead of look at the sound advice that makes sense, you just go to people that reaffirm them. 
because I think maybe some for some people they're just going to make the decision regardless. I think so. Right. I think it's part of it, but but yeah, it's so true. We are going to die. You mentioned like as soon as we get a mortgage, we have to have certain insurances in place. So we need a car, and if we legally allowed to drive, we need we need um, essentially obviously a coverage in place that if we were to get to accident, we hurt anyone. That there has to be a, a payment or a form or a certain <laughs> process where we can pay for their damages or vice versa. Because I think either the government knows that the majority of Canadians don't have, say, 50 grand cash they can toss at anyone in case they have a collision, have to pay for other damages, maybe medical treatment. And it's just strange that. Again, we're driving, we're dealing with people's lives, or in any case, anything happen, um, either we could pass away, we get sick or hurt. You know, like almost like a mandatory thing, like, hey, you, you bought $100,000 of debt, we need $100,000 life coverage to go with this in order to pay off this debt, but it doesn't go. But for cars, again, we buy a car, immediately we have to have insurance to drive it. Yeah. So. It is weird. Don't you think that, like, you talking, actually, you were just talking... And I was thinking <clears throat> that why wouldn't they put that kind of law in place? You yeah. know, like that might help a lot of banks, you know, who, who lend out money and never get paid back, right? Who because people just pass away and are properly protected. I don't understand either why why they don't mandate people to protect their assets or protect the debt away, like from from being uh eaten up. I think that's another thing too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from my knowledge, uh, um, when you have debts and you do pass away, they go down to your, your next of kin, I believe. Is that correct? Or they, or is it, does it just simply go to the state and like how, how does, I guess, in that, that, that work, if you have debt and you pass away, does it go down to your, your kids automatically and they have to pay it by, by per the courts or is it dissolved um, or pending? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, and you know what? I mean, I'm not an expert by any means at all as to what happens when you pass away. I can probably, I, I can probably say this with confidence: it's play with a lot of credit card debt, and the the, the credit card companies are going to go after somebody. So they're going to keep calling this number, and let's say, God forbid, something happens to you, you're passed away. They're going to try and find somebody who knows you, maybe the next phone number, right? Try to get a find a find somebody who's related to Peter Bowen. Yeah. And then ask, you know, what's going on? You know, this is this is a wing. And then maybe somebody has to go through that process of having to tell these people he's passed. He's passed. Like, what an emotionally draining, like, situation for your loved ones to have to deal with creditors or asking for payment. And I don't know how aggressive they are, but this is why credit card companies charge so much, if you don't know this. It's not A, just to make money, but B, there's so much more default on a credit card than there would be a mortgage. So at least with the mortgage, even if they are hounding your next of kin because you still have a mortgage on your property, uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> or maybe fortunately, the banks don't want to go through the, pro, uh, the procedure of foreclosure mm-hmm. because it costs the money to have to do that, yeah. right? And so <clears throat> they don't want to do that. They just rather say, well, you know, this is owed right now. Can we not do anything, right? And maybe it's a refinance. I don't know, right? But if, if, for instance, you pass away and you have a house and a mortgage, right, of course, now that house belongs to the bank and the bank can sell it for whatever they want, right? Mm-hmm. But with credit cards, no, they're going to try to get their payment, send it to collections. Collections agency are just relentless and they'll just try to get that that payment as much as they can because they, they bought the debt, right? And so 
I can say this with certainty that if you have a proper will in place, I guess it could go one of two ways because that executor on that will is responsible for paying any debts that you owe if God forbid you pass away, right? Using the assets in the estate. Yeah. Now, if there's no assets in the estate, they're still responsible for taking on those creditors who you're going to come after, right? So that's the unfortunate thing about being an executor <laughs> on an estate. But then remember that when you do a will. Remember that, like, wow, I'm making my best friend my executor to my will. I better not put them through hell because it's so difficult. I've, I've seen people go through it at the bank where they're executors to the will of someone who's passed away. And literally, they try to come to the bank and they're like, I'm executor to this will. Does so-and-so have any money in their account because the funeral home won't move on the, the funeral um, um, plans until we get a down payment? And sometimes I'd have to say, I'm sorry, they don't, they don't have anything. Yeah. Wow. So literally, it's out of pocket for somebody else until they, they can get their estate kind of figured out. And sometimes there's no payback to somebody who's paying for that stuff because that person hasn't taken care of it. That's, that's not I think even a young person, a younger person like myself, I don't even think of this. And I think it goes back to education. I, th- I was thinking that we need like almost like, because right now we have something called career and life management. It's like, they go either a year or semester long. I can't remember because I did summer school. So I did mine in the summer, so it was either condensed or, uh, but again, it teaches you like life basics. And I think the only financial, for what I recall, is the obviously got a budget sheet, which is important, but again, they don't really, they don't really kind of teach you beyond that. And I'm thinking now, because there is a decent amount to know, especially with uh, the world we live in, how it seems like, I'm afraid to say, because I want, I, I like fiscal currency personally, <coughs> Um, but I, I see that almost being um, eliminated in probably next five, ten years. I think probably digital. Uh, I believe I think it's, it should almost be either a, a three-year financial literacy course in high school from grade ten to twelve. You take it throughout the year from grade ten to graduation, and then it should almost be like a, a diploma, almost like a what's, what's the like the. What's the provincial test called? Uh, diplomas? Yeah, diplomas. should be like a diploma test for financial literacy mm-hmm. before you graduate. And so at least people know, because at the very least, if you at least get, it's like it goes back to the old saying, the proverb, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. So it's like, again, eliminating the debt without educating them, you give them a credit card. But if you teach them how to fish, they like can eat for a lifetime. So if, you, if we educate people properly, well, people are going to do what they're going to do, unfortunately. You know, they have stuff. The pros and cons of being in a free society. Yeah. But like I think more I think more so than not if you actually feel properly on how to see money and live within your means. Again, it's hard to you with this day and age with comparing other people, their lifestyles. But again, I think people have to consider if you're gonna be if you want to be a let's see, investigative journalist, know that you may not have you probably will live in a condo and probably be traveling around the world more often not. And you have to kind of accept how much you're going to make. I guess for at least, uh, I think no matter what career, um, there's going to be like an apprenticeship where you're going to be making not as much money, be learning more. But I think eventually, if you get through that period, you're going to be making a lot more. So I think there almost has to be a period. Unless you're in business and start making lots of money from the get-go, you have to almost live within your means and then gradually as you make more money or as you progress in your career or whatever, then expand from there. Yeah, I agree. 
how would you, I guess, would you have any, I guess, tips on how to, or on what you recommend people how to do that, or? On how to do. <clears throat> just the it means, is there, there's, is there a way where you kind of educate people on or explain in a way that makes sense that they do so instead of kind of using their credit card? And, yes. I can't explain it. I have to show them. That's show the thing, right? Like, a lot of people know it's important not to go into debt. They know. They just know. Right, because um, <clears throat> if they thought it was okay to go into debt and never pay it back, then we'd have a lot more defaults, right? But they know that going into debt is something that they eventually have to pay back. The question is, is why are they just not paying it with cash now, right? And so I think it just really comes down to this is show, showing them what it looks like that people actually can live within their means. Like I can't tell you how many times I've shown someone that they can live within their means. Uh, another example, I'll give you another example. I was uh, dealing with a lady, she was in her 50s. She was actually just 50. No kids, uh, she didn't own a house. Uh, her, her other half actually owned the house that she lived in. And she was looking for her third job, okay? And I'm looking at her finances and I'm like, she had a lot of debt, like a lot of credit card debt. She had a car loan, she had a lot of credit card debt, she had a lot of credit. And her bank sold her whatever they could. And uh, <clears throat> realizing that when I looked at what she was spending money on, I realized and asking the question, so, so, you know, how often do you go out? Like, do you, like, cause I'll ask that question, what do you mm -hmm. like to do for fun? And then asking her, what do you like to do for fun? She's like, oh, I like to go out with my friends. I'm like, oh yeah, what do you guys do? <clears throat> we go to the mall. I'm like, oh, okay, what do you do at the mall? It's like, oh, we go shopping. I'm like, oh, okay, so how much do you typically spend a month on shopping? Because I was trying to fit in her budget. <clears throat> and she's telling me about how much money she'll spend on shopping and how much she wants to spend a, month, uh, a week on shopping. And I'm like, that's how she got into debt. Yeah. And um, sitting down with her, showing her that she'd be completely debt-free. I think maybe she had fifty or $60,000 in debt, just in total. Showing her she'd be completely debt-free in five years, but she can actually live within her means at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then also showing her that, showing you now that you can live within your means. Because wow. she was feeling like she had to find a third job. Like, how, you can't live, you know, you have a really fulfilling life working three jobs. That's yeah. just a lot of time that you're never going to get back. So I showed her at 50, nonetheless, right? So... <clears throat> Showed her how she can live within her means, pay off her debts in five years. We're gonna have to really ramp up her savings so she can retire properly. And essentially, after she's finished paying off her debt, she can actually quit her second job. Wow. Yeah, and Incredible. so, yeah, and, and that's just it. So I had to show her. People aren't willing to kind of look into it, this kind of hoping things will just get better. I don't know what that means, but, and I guess that's just the way it is. Like people are just kind of hoping one day it'll just work itself out. I guess I have to get another job because they don't have enough money. And really, the only thing we can control, we can't control taxes. No, we can't. But we can control debt, right? We can control how much we need. And that's it. Like, And don't always. And see, I guess I could have referred her to one of our partners who deals with consumer proposals and maybe bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. But I, I will not go there until I know that I've done everything I could to show them that they can possibly live within their means comfortably, right? And pay off their debts on their own. Because I think that going that route... If that's the first route they go to, they're just probably going to do it again because yeah. they haven't learned that, hey, I can actually live within my means, right? And I'm not judging anybody. Like, this is not at all to make them feel bad. 
I just want people to understand that there are other ways and try my best to show you the first way and how you can get out of the hole yourself. And that way you can actually start keeping all the money you work hard for, right? With the exception to taxes, right? Because I'd rather be working for myself, not for the bank and for the government. That's just crazy. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. And yeah, again, it goes back to the only thing we can control is ourselves. And there could be other circumstances. Of course, we can't control everything that happens to us. But again, we have to really control what we're doing. We're putting our money and how we're spending it. And, and again, you mentioned it is easy. We can still enjoy life still and still within our means. But again, it's so easy to overspend. Yeah. But I also think it could be going back to doing something you love. It may so. I think people can still get to that. But I think if you um, you do careers you dislike and you and you may not fulfill personally, I think you can gravitate towards these vices. Maybe it'll be Netflix or alcohol or whatever have you. Maybe you overspend because you're trying to find maybe more. Could be maybe just a deeper reason why, but <laughs> but maybe because you make fulfilled lives, and again, maybe you go to school, you are you also you're already put into a debt situation before you're out of the gates, mm-hmm. and that's excluding any other um, extreme circumstances, whether it be like um, say like ethnic circumstances, like uh, especially during this political climate where there's a lot of issues being brought up, mm-hmm. excluding those circumstances. Now you have. 50 grand of debt, that's if you live in, in the country, not including for international, if you're living on campus. And I think there's like, I know I went to school in Nova Scotia. They had like a mess hall type deal because it was a smaller campus, so you can get like a meal pass oh. and buy meals. So I think the campus was only like 4,000 kids, 2,000 oh. kids. So it was very small. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But again, people were, and so I think also that's why it's so easy. I think it, I think also puts in our minds that it's acceptable to have this debt in, in a way, even though it's important to get education. I'm not going to discredit that, but I think almost in a weird way where we get these credit cards when we're 18, not knowing how to use it, and then we get this debt going to school. I think it almost puts it into our minds it's okay to have this and not pay it off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned there should be like we kind of like if you get put into debt, it should almost be mandatory. You get life insurance. Um, I guess do you recommend or I guess want to see any changes in the industry itself going forward, either education-wise for younger generation or maybe or maybe even putting more money into younger generation's hands so we don't get to the large debt situation or what would be like either a change you want to see or change you you're trying to put for yourself i think honestly it starts with um like my generation um and i say my generation because i'm a couple decades older than you anyways um so (laughs) um my generation because i think again and I, i don't have children myself but People my age have children still, and they also have aging parents as now, right? And so if we're kind of having our head in the sand to hope things kind of get better, we're A, not addressing the issue or the problem that can arise, but we're also teaching our kids that that's what's going to happen too, right? Mm -hmm. You just put your head in the sand, this plastic thing will take care of everything, right? And that's how we've been teaching our kids and, you know, bringing, bringing, I'll tell you the story. 
excuse me, um, I used to, I did some volunteer work with uh, an elementary school here in Edmonton. And I, I used, like, with my with my old uh, employer, I used to, what the, what the volunteer job was is developing a business plan. So essentially, I'd go into a grade three class, and we would develop a business plan, raise money for a charity that they got to choose. We'd find a way to raise the money. So whether they made crafts or, you know, we held a carnival one year. I forget what we did the last time. We made lip balm, whatever. Anyways, we raised money for um, for a charity they got to choose. And so like a real business, you know, it's kind of cute. Yeah. I, I would be interviewing these little kids who would be applying for finance jobs and marketing jobs and leadership jobs. It was just super cute, the production jobs. And they get up, they get all dressed up in their little suits and their tuxedos, right? It's like, treat this like a job, right? And give me your resume. So yeah. they'd all do resumes. Anyways, to make a long story short. Um, <clears throat> so we, after we would do that, um, I would talk to them about banking. And one of the uh, one of the questions I asked twice, so in two different years, two different grade three classes, um, I asked them, you know, who here knows what a bank card is, right? And some of them raised their hand, right? You know, like, okay, great. <clears throat> How many of you guys know what a credit card is? All of them raised their hand. And that was alarming. Wow. Yeah. And that's two different classes, two different years, okay? And so when they all know what a credit card is, but they... They kind of know what a debit card is or a bank card is. That's where you need to understand that you need to teach your kids that pulling out that credit card, yes, immediate gratification, they get what they want, we pay for groceries, is teach them that they can do that too, mm-hmm. right? And they have no idea. They don't see Do you tell them that you're paying off the credit card bill? No, mm-hmm. you shelter that. I think parents, and again, I have a word for it, but I think parents need to be a little bit more open with finances. And I think as a society, talking about money is, um, what is it? It's exposing our vulnerability or it's not polite. I don't know. And so we've been taught that money is evil for mm-hmm. some reason. Yeah. And so we don't talk about money. You just don't talk about money. It's rude. I'm like, okay. But money is what really keeps us here. Exactly. If you think about it, it's what keeps us here. And so they're not talking about money with their own kids and saying, you know, uh, this is what we do. Do you know what this credit card is? Even talking to them on what a credit card is, it's like, it's really just borrowed money, but this money actually doesn't exist. Yeah. Right? It doesn't exist yet. So my goal is to pay it off. And they'll, they'll probably ask, well, what are you going to pay it off with? It's like, well, you know where I go every day? Right? Mommy or daddy has to go to the office. Yeah, well, when I go there for eight hours a day, I'm doing some work for them, and then I get paid. That's how we're able to pay for this. Do we have those kind of conversations with our kids? Yeah, and I don't get why we wouldn't talk to our kids about that kind of stuff. Now, I know that, like, like you said, like brought up really well to know how to save money and stuff like that. People with money maybe are better at, you know, showing their kids how to, how to treat money. But again, your, your associations are your associations. So if as a, an older kid, you get kind of stuck in this group where their parents didn't talk to them about money, you're going to think that, oh, credit card's okay. Credit card's okay. Credit card's okay. So I really think that it's my generation. What do we call my generation? Generation X. It's my generation that needs to really get, get our shit straight because it's the only way that our kids are gonna learn. And then of course, now we're thinking about our own parents who are now getting old, having to live on reduced income, right? And I saw this at the bank a lot, where there would be people who were taking care of their elderly parents 
and for some reason they think that they deserve this inheritance their parents are going to leave behind because mom and dad have paid off their house because that's what they learned pay off your house pay off your house yeah. pay off your house. so they have a whole ton of money and then i'd be looking at their their parents finances and i'd be like crap they're barely living and their kids are more concerned about oh, dad passes away we're going to get the house not realizing that mom and dad might be living on cereal and no word of a lie i had a client who was a senior citizen she literally was eating cereal every day as her meal but she had a paid off house and the only way she can get other debts paid for because she was busy helping her adult children still okay the only way she can pay off her bills because she never really had a job when she was like and you know, a working individual, her husband who passed away had the job. So he's he's the one that had all that pension. Didn't get transferred to her, mm-hmm. right? She's living on cereal and she was worried because she wanted to leave her house to her son. And I'm like, without sounding judgmental, but yeah. how can you not feel judgmental? I'm like, can I tell you something? And I really had to be, I had to be honest with her, hoping it wasn't gonna bite me in the ass by the bank. I have to say, I'm like, if you were my mother, and I knew you were living this way, I would say do everything in your power to do what you need to do. So can you please do something like this is one way we could do this. And we were talking about the reverse mortgage, which is an option for senior citizens who are, who are living on a, uh, a reduced. And a lot of people look at that option as no, like that's that's evil. Don't reduce. Don't don't go reverse mortgage. I'm like, well, what other option does she have? Have you even looked at it, yeah. right? And it's usually the kids that talk their parents out of these reverse mortgages. But what is I guess what is a reverse mortgage? For it's basically it? it's basically um, so again like baby boomers nowadays were taught to pay off their mortgage. They have a free and clear home. And um, again, a reverse mortgage allows a senior citizen who has a free and clear home or a home with a lot of equity in it to live off the equity of their home. Now, the thing is a lot of people have these uh, myths or they believe that, well, if you reverse your mortgage, then you don't own the house anymore. Well, that's actually a myth, right? They actually get to keep the house, like it's still in their name, but when they pass away, of course, now there's a loan attached to it. Now, the beneficiaries of this home have the option to pay off that mortgage and, of course, take the house. That's what you want, mm-hmm. right? Or they have the option to just leave it with um, Home Equity Bank, who are the banks. They're the ones that, that deal with the reverse mortgage. But in the meantime, while the senior citizen is living off the equity of the home, so basically it's just a home with a refinance okay. on it, but that, that amount of money is actually invested. So that investment money... Let's say the investment is yielding 6% like insurance, right? Yes. They're living off the interest. Okay. So they get money back. So A, they don't have to even pay back this mortgage because it's not actually a mortgage. Well, it is, but it's not something they borrow. They're using their home now to pay bills, right? And then the second thing is, is that they have an extra income coming in. So besides just CPP and OES, maybe that's all they have. They also have now this interest income that's coming to supplement you know, other bills, right? And so um, it's an option for a lot of senior citizens who don't have a lot of income coming in if they have a free and clear home. Now, what a lot of people, I guess my age or the generation X, they feel like they're entitled, like, well, mom and dad have have this house and they told me they're gonna leave the house to me. Like, wow, what kind of son are you wanting your mom to live on cereal every day? Mm -hmm. Like, you only knew, but the thing is, is that 
that generation would rather not discuss money with their kids. See, this is it. Like, it's just a, a snowball effect. Like, we're we're not talking to our own kids about money because I get it. We don't want to worry them. We don't want to... I don't know what... We want to see, like, everything figured out. Yeah. It's not something that a kid should know about. Well, like, we don't have to make it like, oh, well, tell them all your your woes about money, but you should teach them, right? And so if we're not talking to our children about money, then they're not talking to their children about money, then how are we going to get out of this, right? And so I, I would strongly encourage you, for those of you guys who are my age, make sure your parents have it together mm-hmm. right and 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 don't be don't be banking freaking inheritance please yeah. because how dare you how dare you if they promised you something great but if they can't afford to even eat how dare you to even say that well, no. no it's their money at the end of the oh my gosh yeah like how 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 would you like your kids to be banking on the fact that you're going to pass away and be living the high life like i don't think you want that no definitely no. not no it's it's nuts out there and i think also um I think it's no fault to the, uh, the the generation, the older generation, and the current generation. I think because, well, if you even look a hundred years ago, there is we had World War II basically less than a hundred years ago. So I think I believe that our grandparents was, was mostly just about survival. Um, even though it doesn't seem that far away, people were just focusing on because even grocery stores weren't. I, mean, I think we didn't have fridges weren't even that widespread a hundred years ago. So food was, um, food wasn't as abundant as now. People had to either can everything for the winter time and, mm-hmm. and so everything was home cooked. So I think Italian wise, you know, you get a job, you keep that job. You don't leave the job. You, you buy a house. Cause back then that's, that was only ways to, I think, get assets. Mm-hmm. So bad. So then that was the mentality. So that obviously their grandparents pass on tuition and you get a good job. You get a house, you pay it off, and then now we live in, in an era where it's not really survival because we don't have to, we can get food whenever we want through an app, and people don't have to you just get the one job to hang on. Some people do, like sometimes we only have limited amount of options and we have to take jobs for a certain amount of time, but, but I think we can do what we want, choose what we want. Yeah. I think, yeah, again, we have to have those open discussions. Yeah. And, Again, yeah, something that wasn't done beforehand, but now we have more information. And I think you mentioned that going to schools, educating. Um, I was listening to a podcast with Kevin Hart. I think he's with Chase Morgan. It's more so it states Chase Morgan, mm-hmm. and there he's in partnership with them, and they're gonna go to these impoverished kids in the states and educate them. And what Kevin Hart said, he's like, "Don't do that." And he's like, "The reason why is like you have someone who looks like they haven't done, haven't been there before, trying to educate people on how to get out of that position." And, and so Kevin Hart, so Kevin's like, we meet more people who've been there before. And I think that's something I like, again, your agency and the company as a part of is there's a, a lot of regular people who are one, they can educate themselves how to handle money properly, but then regular people helping other people. And people at the banks are regular people too. I think sometimes when they do maybe some of those either corporate presentations or I know some institutions go to schools as well and educate. People get that mindset, well, you're just a banker, you're in this financial position, you don't know where I'm coming from. So I think sometimes people can also disregard what they're saying because they're not really that regular person. Yeah, no, that's interesting you said that because I I totally believe that. I think a lot of people who visit the traditional banks or traditional financial companies to ask for help or advice, they're really hoping that you give them really valid advice and, 
and you have their best interests at heart. But it's almost like, and I have no word of a lie, when somebody would come to, to me and let's say that they were in trouble or they need to apply for something, it would feel really awkward because it almost like it down. Right? It's very vulnerable. It's a very vulnerable experience for someone to kind of talk to you about where they've gone wrong with their finances. And so I think that the, you know, the best part, like you said, you know, somebody who can empathize like middle income families like ourselves, helping other middle income families and learning how to do it right. That's where that's where I think um, you're going to get people who are totally empathetic to to your situation. Um, and I'm not saying bankers aren't empathetic. I mean, obviously, I was a banker for many years, and I decided that um, it just didn't be anymore. But, like, to be honest, and I'm going to be honest with yeah. you, it's all perception. But I think bankers are just as in bad of a shape as, as regular people. Yeah. I, I don't say regular people, people who aren't bankers. Like, honestly, I, I remember even hearing someone said bankers are the worst when it comes to their own finances. It's well, be- well, you think about it. We were taught by the bank ourselves to, to sell debt. So we just think ourselves, debt is fine, debt is fine. We'll get paid, get paid, refinance, refinance, debt yeah. consolidate, debt consolidate, credit card. Like that's that's what we were taught too. So uh, it's no it's no surprise to me that bankers are themselves not in a good position, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm you know what? Maybe I'm speaking from experience, okay? Because I don't I'm I don't like where I'm at right now, but. The thing is that I did something about it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to teach others too how to do something about it because I can relate. Yeah. Right. That's perfect. We definitely need much more people like yourself out there who are just kneecap kneecap or via Zoom or online, one educate people and show and showing them one what everything means because it is confusing, but also showing them that that regardless of where you're at in most situations, because I say most. Um, that is possible to retire and live a lifestyle that they want yeah. and pay off their debts. And there are some cases, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. Um, I sat down with the guy when I was in, when I was more active in the financial industry and he was, I think, I'm not sure exactly. I think he was six figure debt. It was like mortgage and then he wants credit and credit cards. And it was already consolidated, but I believe like I think the dollars that are going to the principal is like 50 bucks mm-hmm. a month. I think the interest was like astronomical. And what she was, he was never gonna pay this loan off. And unfortunately, because one, he wasn't, no one taught him what he was signing. So he signed his mortgage over to the company as well, the debt company. The only way we could get him out was to eliminate all his savings, start over again. He was like in his forties, I think. And <sighs> Yeah, and so, but we just need more people educating and have these uncomfortable conversations because I think at the end of the day, people are uncomfortable. I think when people are told, hey, you know, this is what you're doing, but hey, this is where we can actually help you. I think more often than not, people will take that advice and take steps down the hole. Yeah. But first thing they need to know it's possible, but more often than not, they're told it's not really possible. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, what is your message you want to leave people or something you want to say? Something that's on your mind? Um, wow, I feel like I've spoken my mind in so many ways. So I, pre- <laughs> I appreciate, you know, that you asked me to do this with you, uh, Peter, and uh, even more honored that that you asked, you know, asked me. I mean, I think there's just so many people out there that have so much more to say, um, you know, on a platform like this, but I appreciate it. And 
I mean, to be honest, I think the only thing that I really have to say is, um, and you know, for those those listeners that are listening, this didn't bore you to death, okay. right? Because talking about debt and stuff, yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, I guess for some people, it's it's. I think a lot of people don't talk about it because they just don't want to look at their own, right? 100%. And the thing is, is I'm not telling you what to do, and I'm not saying I'm not going to pass judgment as to what you need to do, but one day you're going to have to it's the only way you're going to have to and the thing is is that i get it a lot of the big financial companies have already built their reputations around their brand and stuff but you have to remember that it's people that kind of man these things it's still people at the end right you don't have robots doing everything perfect and i'm not saying i'm perfect by any means um but i can tell you this out of the 20 years of my banking career at one bank right out of the many people that have managed you know saw hire you know go left me quit on me whatever i could say that there was only three people only three people who have actually always done the right thing is that terrible yeah that is a terrible number terrible statistic out of the 20 years of the bank only i can count a number three people on my one hand that i know and i can like immediately i know just by I can just picture their faces. Three people that did the right thing 100% of the time. Now, coming on and doing doing this and being my own, uh, you know, running my own financial agency, meeting someone like you, Peter, uh, meeting a whole bunch of great people like Peter, yeah. by the way, right? And we all just want to do the right thing. And then we're the ones because people have heard of us maybe somewhere else. Past all experiences with other institutions exactly with yeah past experiences with other people right people other people not yeah. but they kind of like already made their their judgment about us because of the you know the company that that we work with when really what you need to do is seek somebody you trust uh hopefully you get value from this and reach out to either you know peter or myself because peter is is one of those stand-up guys that will always do the right thing Right. And so just like a lot of people, we're still learning a lot of stuff, but at least we have the right thing in mind where we can act with the client's needs first. We have no targets or quotas. Yeah. Right. We're not being um, influenced by our job because this is not our job. This is what we've chosen to do. Um, but know that. And I 100 percent that if I leave anything out here, this if this is what it's going to be. And maybe I'm going to bite my t- what do they call that? Eat my. Anyways, <laughs> I eat crow. Is that is that a saying? Oh no, I know the one where you put your foot in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, um, I believe, I believe there's going to be a huge shift in the financial industry in the next couple of years, and the shift is going to be in our favor, not the banks. Okay, I believe so. that. I believe we're going to change the face of the financial industry for the middle class and even if it doesn't happen it happened in a couple of years it'll happen in my lifetime while i'm still here yeah. right mm-hmm. so if i'm gonna leave anything that's what i'm gonna leave there um i hope i hope everyone took some kind of value out of this and i mean there's there's so much more so if you took a whole bunch of value out of this like definitely like you should be spreading this around and reaching out to me or Peter. 100%. Where can people, I guess, find you and get more information? Because I know you post a lot of great 
um, informational videos, even even if it's mindset or financial education videos. I know you you post on a pretty regular basis. I don't want to say like on a terms of frequency, but I know a regular basis. Where can people find you? And yeah, where where can people find you? Yeah, um, so you can uh, find me on Facebook, Irene Meyer. Meyer is spelled M E Y. I'm sure there's a lot of Irene Myers there, so I'm the one that looks Asian. <laughs> you might think, oh, like old German lady, I don't know. Um, and then um, I also have my own website, uh, Myers. So my middle name or my maiden name is Garlitos, G-A-R-L-I-T-O-S, Meyer.com. Um, LinkedIn, same thing, Irene Meyer. And I mean, really, if you wanted to shoot me a text, you can totally do that as well. My number is 780 916-189. It's been that number since I've had a cell. Um, so it's going to say that. And yeah, please feel free to reach out to me. And, and uh, if I can help you, I'd love to sit down with you. Perfect. That's amazing. Can you believe it's almost been almost been two hours oh, of sitting yeah. there just, just talking. And, and I just have one question, question before I let you go here. When I, get, when I get videos set up here, uh, will you be a return guest? Oh, 100%. Anything oh. for you. Please. Well, thank you for being yeah. on. Yeah, thank you.